ATV Talks, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Hey, Danny, how are you? Good. How about yourself, sir? Hey, good. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to ATV Talk. I'm Leonard Duncan, your host, and I have Danny Ray Duncan uh, the second, my son, here with me. And we're going to do a little switcheroo on you for this episode. And Danny's going to become the host, and I'm going to be the uh, guest. So, Danny, I'm going to turn the reins over to you and let you uh, run the show here. And uh, Go ahead. Fire away, man. Well, how's it going, guys? Um, thank you for joining in on the podcast. Thank you for allowing me to be here, Dad. Um, wow, man, where do I even start? I think this is a, a, a an amazing sport, an amazing thing that you're doing here with ATV Talk. Um, but I'd like to... I'd like to... Uh, start off with uh, how you got into the industry itself. Well, I've been blessed. I mean, I was born into the ATV industry. Um, my father, Danny Duncan, is one of the founding members of our industry. I mean, they've been members all over the all over the country that were doing things in the ATV industry. But here on the West Coast, um, the ninety one ten or the ninety craze that started in sixty nine. My dad was on the forefront of building intake manifolds and fitting big carbs on them and, and doing big bores and doing all these things that I got to be part of as a young man, um, a very young man, uh, going, walking right out the back door into the, into the, the shop that it all started in, you know, working on a box of carburetors that, that he gave me a screwdriver and said, Hey, take them apart and put them back together, you know, as a, as a, as a learning tool. So, so that happening for me was, was the beginning of where we are today. And if you'd have told me when I was a kid that I'd be doing this, I'd have, I would have laughed and said no. And uh, if you ask, if you ask Danny, my dad, uh, he didn't have the vision that we would be worldwide and have traveled the world working on ATVs, um, let alone know that they were going to be four wheelers instead of three wheelers. Yeah, I think I think it is crazy to look at the lineage of our family and and see where it all started with grandpa. And um, I know that that grandpa is probably the smartest man I've ever met in my entire life. He he knows more than all. He's forgotten more than all I know. Um, what about with racing itself? Like, when did you start with? going to the races, building race bikes. How did that evolution go from you working with grandpa in the garage, you know, tearing down carburetors and putting them back together to well, where that, you're at today? Well, that all starts, that, that all starts from the beginning, you know, four years old, getting put on a PE 50 and, and racing your first motorcycle race uh, to, uh, as I'm growing up and I want to race and 
uh, I'm at the shop by myself at, at, at 16 years old, you know, working on my own race motorcycle because dad says you want to race it, you got to work on it. And being given the skill set and the, and the, and the training at such a young age to, and I'm talking before it's being a teenager, you know, learn, learning how to tighten nuts and bolts and how to put things together and not necessarily engines, but chassis and, and things like that. Uh, engine teachings didn't happen until I was a little older. And there again, I'm not an engine builder. That's my brother's forte. I can build engines, but I am not an engine builder. Um, but putting chassis together and getting involved in racing, I've done it my whole life. Uh, 86, you know, or yeah, maybe 86, 87. I got a four wheeler. I got about my first, my first quad. I actually bought one of, uh, Lauren's machines from him. Uh, you know, back then we didn't have a arms. We didn't have, uh, all the cool stuff. We just had shocks and pipes and carbs and motor mods. And that's, that's what I bought and, um, rode that for a number of years and ended up selling it back to Lauren so that he could build a CR 500 quad and take it to Europe. But just the, the knowledge that I've been blessed with in building my own machines for years before I became a mechanic for another individual, um, that didn't happen until I was into my twenties. Uh, and I started helping a, a local district 38 guy on a, on a CR 500. Um, not a lot, but a little. And then, um, started working with Lauren more and more, uh, working on customers' machines, which, you know, you always have the racing bug. And I had a couple children, so I wasn't racing as much. I got to do a little bit, uh, but I did race some GPs in, in Southern California and, and do some of that stuff when you and your sister were little. So I got to build my own machines and make some mistakes there, you know, with letting silencers fall off or break because you didn't put them on correctly. Um, and every mechanic or every bike builder out there has a learning curve of, of mistakes. And you still do even, even as many years as I've been doing it, you, you, you still make mistakes. You have to follow your gut instinct. And if there's an issue with uh, a specific part or a specific thing that goes on uh, while you're putting a machine together or before you get to the starting line, if you feel that's an issue, you better check that because it is an issue. And in my life, every time that I've thought that there was a problem and I didn't look at it, that's the part that broke. I don't think I, I don't think I answered your question totally, but uh, working for Duncan Racing gave me certain opportunities that maybe other people didn't have. Uh, having a father that that owned uh, the parent company or the beginning company to Duncan Racing and getting to work for him for so many years, maybe I maybe I was given uh, advantages that other other people didn't get. Um, yeah, I love I love being out in the shop and building a machine. Your greatest form of uh, mental therapy for me is having a bike to build. And you have a pile of parts, you have an objective, um, you have a goal. Your goal is to build a winner, uh, to take this pile of parts and put it together in such a fashion that uh, it works proficiently and smoothly and you know 
some of the things I say, I, I repeat because they're true to my soul. If you've ever watched Days of Thunder and Robert Duvall sitting on the stool talking to the race car and there's a puddle of coolant under her and that, 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 that for true heartfelt guys that, that really bleed, sweat and cry over it and love it that much, that's true. When you're putting that, when you're putting them together, you talk to them, you feel how they go together. You're, 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 you're having, you're building a relationship with that machine. And I know it sounds goofy and, you know, people are laughing when I'm, when I'm talking and I, I can see your eyes rolling a little Danny and, 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 but you've seen it happen and you've seen me do it. And you, you had got to experience some of the highs and lows of that. When you put a good one together, they're, they're amazing. They will do things that you never thought possible. When you get one that goes together hard, you, you have a tough life. I mean, I built a bike for Eichner one time and uh, I hated that bike. You know, the sister bike that was identical, I loved it because I never had a failure, never had a blip, never had a problem. I mean, it, 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 you could leave something loose and finish the race and, and never have an issue. But this other machine, I could do everything perfect and she'd still break or still have a problem, you know, and no matter what I did, I could not make this machine perfect. We, we tore her down to the frame, rebuilt her, uh, sold her to a, a customer, a good a friend customer. And that customer had an amazing career with her with no issues. <laughs> Go figure, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> It's, uh, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a feeling. I mean, like when you're working on something or, or just even with, with certain machines and stuff, when you go to race, because just like grandpa did to you, you did to me with, if you want to race it, you got to work on it. And, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely feel you there. What about, uh, the riders that you've evolved with. I know, I know uncle Doug, Doug Eichner is your longest rider that you worked with. And obviously, I mean, he started when I was a baby and I call him uncle Doug. So obviously you two are super close, but other riders and uncle Doug itself. What about your favorite builds over the years, the bikes that you've, the specific bikes that you've worked on that you've built that have won championships and and uh some of the fun times that you've had not just working on them but at the races itself the different series the mickey thompson you know you can talk about that best in the desert works there's so many pendezvous um you know it, it, we can we can talk about all of them a little uh your mickey's machines you know, there's never been a series like that. The closest thing that you could even uh, categorize to Mickey's or get close to Mickey's is TT racing, uh, night TT racing. Daytime TT racing was cool, but gosh, when you race under the lights and you, you have polish and chrome on the machine, they don't get the, as dirty as they do in motocross or some of the other forms of racing. Um, so you can make them look pretty and you can spend hours and hours and hours buffing on them and shining on them like we did for our Mickey's bikes. Um, and 
you know, I got to work with some great guys in that era, you know, Don Turk, uh, Mickey's champion, Charlie Shepard, Mark Earhart. Uh, they were both champions. Uh, that's where I met Gary Denton, you know, for the first time, you know, eight time national champion. And uh, he's a current national champion, he walks up and shakes my hand like I'm somebody and I'm just this green kid learning how to work on ATVs uh, with my brother, you know, and, and, um, guy was a great guy mounds of respect for him uh i think that's one of the ways besides the way i was taught by my father to treat people is um you know you always stick your hand out you always treat that person that's on the bottom with respect because one day you're going to be looking up at them and uh or looking eye to eye with them and and when you do that you you i know it's a little off topic i'm sorry but uh, you get, you get going. I've been doing this a long time. I've met a lot of people, done a lot of things. Um, some of your, your rendezvous builds, you know, I built a Yamaha for uh, Alessandro Caminini in Italy. We built a 660 Raptor and got first four stroke fifth overall in rendezvous in 2001, which was quite an accomplishment for a new machine that, you know, I mean, was that came out that year. We really had no test time. Um, I worked on a Polaris at Pendezvous with, uh, Doug Eichner. Uh, that was a kind of a nightmare. We had some issues. Uh, he got hurt. Uh, the bikes, the three bikes that were under our pit. Um, I, I think one of them finished out of the three. I pulled Doug and made him retire because he was injured and there was no sense uh, hurting himself anymore. That was one of the last races him and I ever, uh, worked together. Um, but he, you know, I got to be there in 1993 when, uh, when the first, uh, Philip Charles leisure Duncan racing victory happened with Doug Eichner and Mark, Ehr Mark Earhart. Um, that was pretty heroic and, and amazing. I wasn't even supposed to be there at the last minute. Something came up in, uh, my brother's life and I was handed the plane ticket and said, have fun, you know, do what Martin tells you and, uh, you know, take care of it. And, um, I stood on the wall and, and did the mechanicing that I was told to do. And, you know, it was their team and I was just a, a guy there to help. And, um, Martin and I, uh, worked together on the machine and, and, uh, he's a pretty smart guy in his own right. I hope to, I hope to get him on the podcast at some point. Um, but he, he's, you take all these experiences and, and you put them all together. And some of my most memorable builds is are, are building machines that, uh, you know, have done uh, crazy, amazing things. I, I mean, I built a Vegas Torino bike for 2018 that in my recent memory is probably one of the most memorable because when you talk to the old guys and, you know, like my dad and you talk to some other guys and you, and you just talked about sheer build builds and things that, these machines did for you as you're rolling them out of the shop, you know, th that 2018 bike, that Vegas Torino bike, when you touch the throttle, the floor vibrated, the walls shook and she just was perfect. And uh, Josh Rowe took her out and shook her down, brought her back. And I had to fix the chain guide on the front of the swing arm. And he said, it's perfect. Don't do anything. And, um, we took it to the, we took it to the, we took it to the line and, or, well, actually we, we, uh, 
I do my normal, my normal things that I do for them and get it all, check it all out. And, and that night I'm in the truck and I can't sleep. It's one 30 in the morning. You know, you gotta be up at 4am to start the race in Vegas Reno. And, and I got out of the truck, got my headlight on and took the top plate off and the gas tank. I took the gas tank off and the top plate and disassembled the top of the machine because I thought the cam sprocket was loose. Um, you know, just about that thing I said in the beginning about if you think there's something wrong and you don't check it, it will be wrong. So I checked everything, retorked it all, made sure it was all good, uh, put it all back together, gassed it, pushed it over back into the spot, um, got in the truck and closed my eyes for 15 or 20 minutes before, you know, they hollered at me to, to get up which I was still awake and, you know, uh, it's one of those things when you get jacked up like I do and your, you know, your emotions are going and you're, and you're feeling it, you don't, um, you don't calm down, you know, sometimes I don't, didn't sleep before races. It's just, it's just me, you know, and when that bike left the starting line, she got into the lead by pit one and we made a mistake at pit two and lost the lead. At pit three, we were back in the lead and never looked back and just kept gapping the field and until we got to the finish line and in first and won a championship and and uh, set the stage for the current Q1 machine and it it uh, it was awesome. Uh, huh, I got to work on Doug's Lager Banshee. That was quite an experience all on its own, going from Mickey Thompson to Moto Outdoor Motocross. Uh, it, that machine was a lot of fun to work with, uh, a lot different than, than uh, most people. I think it was the best chassis that Lager ever built for that model, the Banshee. Um, there's guys that have ridden them and owned them and, and could argue it, but it, it was a pretty phenomenal machine. Uh, you go to Mike Sloan's YFZ450R, Yamaha. Wow. That bike didn't like me much. Um, the first one, the second one we that, that, that got built, there was some controversy in it. And, um, but as I took, took care of her throughout the year, you know, things started to unfold the, the developments, you know, things were happening, you know, you could just feel, the change in the air in, in 2018, something drastic was going to happen. And, um, that machine on the last day that, that was used in 2018, uh, performed flawlessly and, and was perfect. Um, 30 seconds after the race, it wasn't perfect anymore, but, uh, once, once she crossed the finish line, she said, okay, I'm done. And, uh, but it, you learn so much working on them and building them. And, and, uh, you know, you have riders that you have success with, you have riders that you don't have success with. You know, I built a, a bunch of machines for Craig Christie and, and we had some really good success in, in Baja in 2009. He was the overall, uh, Baja champion in the quad class, which uh, was pretty amazing beans that we were in class 24. Um, I don't think he won. Uh, I think he won another class 24 championships, but not an overall points championship. Uh, but he had some flawless runs with his machines, had to learn how to make some aluminum heel guards, not fail for him because they were bigger guys and, and they would break things. Um, 
there was a lot of development in skid plates and, and things like that. Now we use a chassis, a plastic chassis skid plate, where before we used all aluminum stuff and it made a lot of noise and and broke. Um, so uh, the evolution is is awesome. Uh, motocross bikes, you know, Doug and I had some Lobos that, you know, the last year that he rode uh, the GNC series uh, that were good. Never, you know, we didn't, we, we won Mount Morris uh, on the, in the 250 pro class and then won the open class. That was our memorable day when you go back to back and win it all in both classes. Um, that was a pretty cool day. Um, I, I could tell you, I, I don't know where more else I got to go with, with some of the things and, and some of the builds built some pretty cool customer bikes, you know, that were, were awesome. Uh, that those Raptor 660 is that the orange one for grandpa and the Chrome one, those were really, really cool Raptors. Yeah, they were, they were built, uh, they were built with the blue one that, that, uh, your, your, uh, my nephew, Alan, um, I guess he's your cousin, uh, Alan White. He was my partner, and we had a blue 660 Raptor that we raced in Best in the Desert for two years. And that was a pretty awesome bike. I really enjoyed that bike because it was fast. Uh, we almost won Vegas Torino, 26 seconds shorts. short. When you get beat by a guy like Doug Eichner by 26 seconds at Vegas Torino, hey, buddy, I don't care. You won. Especially you had a per- you had to have had a perfect day <laughs> to come that close to beating Uncle Doug. We did my <laughs> ultimate hero and the king of the king of anything on a quad, in my opinion. Well, you know, I mean, they, there's argue there's arguments both ways. You know, um, he's definitely fast, definitely the man, and uh, that six sixty was faster than everything else there that day. We just weren't fast enough to. Uh, we just weren't fast enough when we needed to be. Um, you can pick a pick it apart with a flat tire. You can pick it apart with a with a filter change. I mean, this this is what you're this is what you're down to when you're complaining about not winning. You know, if I'd have left the gas on a little longer on that turn, you know, hey, we made up six and a half minutes from pit thirteen to the finish line and lost by 30, 26 seconds. You know, did all did all we could do at the end of the race. It doesn't really matter. We got second hats off to to Doug and Mark Spaeth. They got the championship. Uh, they won the race. And um, Alan and I had a memory, you know, and and you'll never take that away. That that 660, that platform built the other two, um, built the other two 660 that you mentioned, the orange one, which we called the pumpkin, and the chrome one, which was uh, chrome and red, for Martin Moreno. And, yeah. Uh, my deal with Martin was if I built him and for him, and we got him in a magazine. Uh, I had to go on a ride with him. Well, that ride was glamour or from buttercup to glamis and back on those six sixties. And, uh, we had a lot of fun. It wasn't the long, as long a trip as everybody thinks it was because they were, their top speed was in the nineties. They were fast. They were so fast. Um, I don't think they were the quickest machines ever, but in a straight line, you know, when you're cruising along, they were, they, they were quick, they were fun. You know, they handled not bad. As a, a true fan of the sport, I mean, just 
just over the years, I mean, some of the riders that, you know, like, I mean, that have raced, I mean, you got Doug Gust, you got Tim Farr, you can go to Keith Little, Jeremiah Jones, just as a pure fan of the sport itself, who are some of the guys that you liked to watch race? Not necessarily Duncan guys, just, just guys that were at the track that you had a relationship with that you just really enjoyed. Well, you know, some of my favorites uh, to watch, well, Gary Denton was always a good guy to watch, but he was smooth. So it was kind of boring. He was always usually running near the front, um, smooth, calculated, didn't make a lot of mistakes, didn't have problems, uh, was just not, not, not fun to watch, but he wasn't making a show. He was winning a race or winning a championship. Um, Travis Spader, I know he rode for Duncan later on in his career, but before he was a Duncan guy, man, that guy was some, some, something spectacular. He was as a Duncan guy too, but you know, we're at a TT race in Danville, Virginia, and he's telling everybody at the starting line, you guys might as well just go home because I'm winning. He he walked through the whole thing. I mean, you're looking at Doug Gus, Tim Farr, Shane Hitt. I mean, these guys are heroes, you know, just badasses on TT. And he's telling them to go home, you know. And I'm like, "Uh, do you think that's advisable? Um, And and I think um, I forget there was – I don't know if Greg Baker was there that year, and I don't think Charlie Shepard was. Um, uh, These are – this might have happened after – Charlie stopped racing and uh, uh, coming back to the nationals. Uh, And I don't think Baker was uh, for whatever reason he was there that day. Um, But they come off the, they come out of the first turn off the start and it's Spader all the way gone Um, stretches into a big lead. And um, I don't even think he made it to the halfway point and a fireball underneath the gas tank and he, parked it um second place was uh i forget who i think it was shane and he had the same thing happen and um sit on the same spot you know almost the same type of failure and uh, i forget he, i even forgot who won the race and then doug got third i can cut third that's all i could tell you um and uh th- th- those types of things the, the watching those guys you know shane was spectacular on a tt track he had it down. He was dialed. Um, and you could always count on it. You know, he was, he was good. His equipment was good. He was fast. Um, Curtis built all of his stuff. So he was fun to watch, but you, you talk about greats, you know, like Josh Fredericks, just the, this, just the strong stud guy that he was and could eat dirt all day long and then pass you at the end or, or come through and, and lead a race or battle back from a, from a failure. I mean, that guy, that guy was fantastic. I mean, uh, he, he cut his teeth chewing on rocks that Reichner threw at him, um, for a couple of years. So, uh, you know, when you get that lesson and you get that teaching, um, you know, his training regimen was, was off the charts, just like Spader's was, uh, Doug Gust, that guy was a, an animal too. He was, he was burly, uh, you know, all these guys are having shocks and a arms and he comes out there with stock shocks and puts it on them, you know, and you're just like, okay, why, why are we doing all this other work? You know, it was evolution. It was going to happen. And Gus had to, and uh, eventually had to go that route. Um, 
so, you know, there was just so many phenomenal guys that you can't put them all together. Todd Viscovi, he's passed on, but he was, he was pretty amazing to watch too. He was very talented young man. Um, Danny, there's so many more that I can't even name them all. Um, there's a couple of guys that wrote works that their names are slipping by me at this given time. You know, Jeremy Shell came out and wrote some. He was always a hoot. Uh, he was fast. You know, always getting himself into some kind of trouble. Uh, well, I mean, I remember that race when he rode for us at Lake Elsinore, my first race ever. Well, yeah. He told me, lined me up on the very inside and says, don't shut off until you hit that hay bale. <laughs> and then yeah. throw it sideways. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you had Jeremy Shell and Doug Eichner coaching you that day. Um, that was pretty phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I always, I always liked watching Doug ride. I was also biased and prejudiced because that was my guy. You know, I worked from him from '93 to to 2007, and, and that's a long, a long time to spend working on uh, one guy's equipment. Um, I worked on Craig Christie's equipment from, I think, uh, 07 to 12, you know. Um, I think that uh, Mike Sloan, I started working on his stuff somewhere in the in the 12 to 13 range, you know. Uh, so, you know, you just always transition from one to another. I don't have – I don't have any um, – I try to put the bad memories in the, in a box and throw them away and keep all the good ones because you know, your, your bad memories, the, the ones you hold on to, they can just make you negative towards, towards the next build or towards the next uh, encounter. You have to take the positives and the love of the racing and the love of the sport. Um, and that's always what I've tried to do. I'm a huge fan of racing in general, but I'm also a huge fan of the ATV re- the ATV sport. So if there's an ATV race and I can go and I can go help somebody, I'm going to go, you know, you know that you spent your whole life going, Hey, where's dad this weekend? Uh, we don't know some, some dirt ball track somewhere, you know, working on an ATV. Um, yeah, I was do. usually with you. Well, you got to go a lot, but you didn't get to go all the time. And then after you moved out and, and, you know, I still traveled just as much, uh, even more in, you know, I've been to places that I can't find on a map, uh, but I've been there. <laughs> you know, I've been to countries that that I don't have stamps in my passport for because there was a a job there or a uh, a specific moment that we needed to take care of business uh, with one of my clients that were an overseas deal, and you'd fly into a little small airport, do your business, and fly out. It kind of kind of shady sounding, but it. It's just the way it worked over there, you know, and they didn't check it if you weren't staying. Yeah. And I mean, we got to do a lot of cool stuff with Raphael. I mean, Raphael was one of those people that you got to go over to a lot of different countries with. And I, I'm a huge fan of the sport too, as you know, and you know, I'm also biased because my dad and Doug are, you know, I mean, the, the, you two are the, the iconic duo in my mind and you guys just are, you know, I remember washing Uncle Doug's boots and in Taft and filling the tub full of dirt because it was a mud race, and then we couldn't take a shower the next day. But I mean, just 
you you've done a lot and and you you know i mean you've you've won championships over and over and over again and and you i've i've seen the hours that you put in and and you know and not a lot of people and i, I mean i don't know if you got to have love for it to do what you do and you know and i mean me and my sister are completely different i'm here you know i love the sport still and you know juliana doesn't necessarily love the sport as much as i do but um you know even when you got to go racing it was always fun i mean the kawasaki 700s that you rode those big tanks those were a lot of fun and you know and i just the the love for the sport has to be there in this i feel like and and if it's not then you're not you're not you're going to go out and have fun and and you'll do it for a little bit but the the amount of hours it takes to win a championship is just insane on both ends you know like building in and working working out and training and stuff so i don't believe that an outsider could even understand what it takes in our sport because i know that the motorcycle guys work hard I know that the NASCAR guys work hard. The NASCAR guys got a team, you know, and usually in our sport, there's one guy carrying the tires, putting the motor in, tightening the nuts and bolts, checking the jetting, making sure the shocks are good, um, doing it all. And, you know, I mean, no, we don't service our own shocks. uh, And generally we're not the guy rebuilding the engine. In some cases, the, the mechanics are. Uh, you know, I did, I, I've done some of my, the own engine work, uh, but I, I always had one guy to rely on. And that was my brother, Lauren, you know, yes, I'm biased. I believe he's the best motor builder and maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Okay. That's, that's your argument to have. I'm not going to have it with anybody because, because I am biased. I'm going to pick him. Does that say that Curtis wasn't great? Did that say Mark Baldwin couldn't do his job? No, that's not saying that in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying that I'm biased and that's, that's my pick. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to be when he's your brother. I mean, there are other guys that, I mean, I've, we've had this conversation. You have the most respect for most, for both Baldwin and Curtis Sparks. I mean, it's, it's hard not to, when you look at their, their resume and their legacy, but not even to get into that. I'm just, I'm just saying as a true fan of the sport, it's, it's, I'm, I'm very happy that you're doing this because, you know, it's, it's, it, it needs to be done. Cause I mean, people want to hear these stories and, you know, and I know that you raced yourself and stuff and we'll, and we can get into that a little bit, but I just wanted to thank you for letting me be a part of this and uh, tell you that I'm, I'm really proud that, that you're, you're doing this. Well, thank you. And, and I hope everybody understands I'm doing this because I know I have stories to tell. And I know that every person that I asked, to be on the show has a story or something to offer the industry. And maybe, maybe they're going to tell a story that, that some young person's going to hear and that's going to spark an interest and allow them to get on an ATV and do amazing things in their life. But maybe not, you know, maybe they're just going to go ride it in the dunes, uh, but it keeps the sport alive and, that's why we're here and that's what we're doing and uh, that's what we're trying to do. And, and we just need to always hold on to that. Um, we do this for love. We don't, I never got into this because I knew I was going to make a million dollars. Well, I never did. I've made very little money. Uh, I worked really hard, uh, spent a lot of time alone. Uh, 
um, had some things go on in my life because I would prefer to work on ATVs than go do things with family members. Um, maybe, maybe that cost me in the end. Maybe it could, maybe it didn't, you know, am I going to look back on it when I'm laying on my deathbed and be, be apologetic for it? Probably not because I'll probably be pissed because I'll have a project in the garage that needs to be worked on at that given moment. That's not going to get finished. So I, I just, I just, I love the sport. My father's 85 years old and he still goes out in his shut workshop. He has motorcycles and, and cars that he would restores. Um, he still builds and works in the engine department with my brother. And he's still there to save me when I have questions or help me when I have questions for guidance on life, not as well uh, life, but you know, Hey, how do you get that bolt out Dad? That one's a, that one's not coming out, you know, and three minutes later, he hands you the piece and chuckles and walks off, you know, and and this guy's 85 years old. He's a wizard. Um, It goes back to that saying with grandpa, you know, the guy goes and he has they they have a ship that's an engine's down and they can't get it to work. So they bring in this guy who's been retired for 20 years and he walks over with a hammer and taps the engine and it starts running and they take off and he sends them a bill for $10,000. And they say, Whoa, 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 that's too much. And he says, well, there's $5 for the hammer. $9,995 for no to where to hit the hammer. Yeah. I mean, you know, so there, there, there's something to be said for it. You know, I mean, I've had conversations with writers and, and other builders and, and, it, and they've always, you know, guys that have built bikes that, that maybe never had success or had problems or had needed directional help. And, and I just tell them, dude, it's just about putting the bolts in the, in it and playing them correctly. And they tell me, no, it's not. There's something else going on. You're doing something else. And I know I'm not, I'm just putting the bolts in. That's all I'm doing. You know, I prep the machine, I put the bolts in, I torque them to the spec and I look over the machine. I check my work. Uh, I check my parts before they go together. Uh, no, I'm not infallible. I am fallible. I've had many, my, my fair share of failures and my share of mistakes. Um, Fortunately, most of them have been caught in the shop or in the, the testing machine before the race. Um, some haven't, you know, cost, cost us some races, maybe cost us some championships because you make a mistake and, and everybody carries that burden and carrying that burden makes me work harder the next time. You know, uh, we had a gas issue in 2005, 2006. I think it was 2005. We had a, a, a dump can issue, uh, a pit mistake that was made by myself. I can't blame anybody else. There were other guys in the pits helping me, but it, but it comes down to the guy that runs the show in the pits and, and um, the gas didn't get in the gas tank. And we got a, we got a two lap penalty and went from winning a race to getting 27th place all in the span of about five minutes. Um, you talk about a hard ride home. Uh, that was tough. Uh, worked really hard, put our heads down. By round four, we had a point lead. Uh, you know, we had help, but still, we didn't lose our composure. We didn't lose sight of where we were going. We didn't disband the team because the idiot mechanic made a mistake. Uh, we just made him work harder, and, and that was me. And and you overcome your mistakes. You you recalculate. Uh, you you fix the deficiencies, and, and you move on. And 
and that's all you can do. And, and uh, I worked with some really great people that allowed me to do those things and development on my own, develop my, my methods on my own. Um, I don't, uh, when it comes to building a race program or building a, building a, a race machine, you know, my brother has some input usually if I go and ask him questions, but nowadays, um, you know, he'll just ask, he'll ask questions and see where the development's at to see if he thinks I'm going in the right direction. And he's always good to give his two cents. And you always got to listen because he's a very smart guy and he's, he's been doing it longer than I have. And he's built his fair share of race winning programs and, and everything. So a lot of people don't, a lot of day, a lot of people in the modern day world may not know as much about him as because he has kept himself in the, in the background. Um, but you have to have resources and I have great resources. You know, I still got my dad, I still got my brother and there's a whole slew of other guys that I can ask, you know, Tom Berta is super smart guy from pro design, you know, and he's a, he's a friend of the family. Maybe he is part of the family. Uh, You know, you never know. We've been, we've been doing things with him for as long as I can remember back, I think back into the early nineties. So uh, that's, there's a lot of history and there's a lot of things that people don't know. And uh, hopefully that this podcast will bring that out and allow people to understand that these people, these men and women have things to tell you that they're the only ones that can say it because they were the ones that did it. And there was no video. There is no newspaper clipping. There was no camera snapping uh, because we were most of the time by ourselves in the middle of some desert or in the middle of some racetrack out where there was nobody, there were nobody to tell. And, um, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff. Maybe, maybe we'll have a, a story time with me one day. I, I, I don't know. I don't think I'm as significant as you do. You're my son. You're biased. You live through some of my stories. Um, you know, I, I would rather hear Doug Gus tell me how he got into ATV racing and, and tell anybody how I got into it or, you know, sit down with Doug Eichner and have him give the secrets away to Pendezvous, you know, how do you win seven? How do you win seven titles? How do you win five works titles in, in a row? I mean, it, the you, guy's got freaking nerves of steel and balls of, I don't even know. Like he just... I remember waking up in the morning and I'm nervous. You're nervous. And uncle Doug's drinking his chocolate milk or having a Pepsi. Like, Oh yeah, we're going to go racing today. And I'm, I'm going to beat everybody by a minute, but you know what? You're never going to know. Cause I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, he'd get off the race and smile and have a Pepsi. And you know, I mean, I only seen him get hot at me a couple of times where because of mistakes, you know, he had a race one in Taft one time and the counter shaft rocket fell off within feet of the finish line and he was so tired that you know he pushed it across the line but unfortunately josh fredericks passed him and won the race did it ruin our title no it closed the title up uh to made it a little more stressful uh to the end but you know we won the last two rounds and opened the gap up so that it it really wasn't an issue but i mean things like that things like that happen. And that's how you build your knowledge to know how long specific parts last or don't last. 
is you got to go break a few. And sometimes you can't break them in practice. You have to break them on the racetrack. And that's a shame. And it's a, and it's a horrible, it's a horrible sick feeling when you're, when your machine rolls to a stop, you know, it's just like we were in Taft another year. And this is a race that we won. Um, We got protested at the end of the race um, for radios. Radios were illegal. We didn't have any radios. Um, Todd Hunt was my helper friend. He'd come to all the races as Dady. His daughter raced Katie. Um, and she was a phenom for a few years, winning a lot of races, a little kid. Um, and Todd would always help us in the pits. You know, he would help us set up. He would help us tear down. He would uh, change tires. He would do whatever I needed. I mean, the guy was awesome, just awesome. And um, I don't talk to him much now today, but, he, you know, I could call him right now and probably he'd show up the next day going, what do you need? Um, he's that kind of guy. He's just awesome. Uh, and I said that over and over again, but I gave him some verbal information and some hand signs and so that I would know what needed to be done and when. And um, he gave me some signals from the wall. If you remember Taft, there was a wall. So we were in the pits behind the wall and we couldn't see the race course. We couldn't see what was going on. So Todd's on the wall, giving me hand signals and, and verbal you know, information. And, um, he gives me the signal for the tire. And I knew that we had a flat and we had a small marginal lead. So when the bike came in, we had the tire sitting there. Someone was in the pits to help me lift the machine. We gassed the machine, put the tire on and dropped it back on its wheels and never lost the lead. We lost our margin of lead, our, 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 our distance. I mean, now it was nuts to butts, but, uh, it was, it was a great race. Doug put the lap down afterwards, you know, after they came out of the pits that next lap, he put time on Josh, you know, just because he put his head down and really charged hard. Um, and I, I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, that was the end. It went one lap, maybe two laps to the finish. And we're all sitting around at the truck, you know, just shaking our heads and, and Sean Reddish comes over and he's uh, asking his questions. And I said, Sean, you can, here's my cell phone. Here's Doug handed his cell phone over and, and uh, they went through the box van and he asked me some questions and looked in the, in the bins, you know, cause we had a bunch of parts bins in there with all kinds of extras and stuff and uh, checked our gear bags. And he goes, no radios. And I go, dude, there's no radios. And he goes, I don't want to know how you knew. And he says, but you're, you, you are being protested. And I go, that's great. And I says, we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't cheat. You didn't, you, you, you didn't tell us we couldn't do what we did. And it's not in the rules. And it wasn't illegal. Because people, you weren't supposed to run across the track. So I, did, I couldn't have Todd run back and forth. I had to leave him over there. And he was in that spot the whole day, you know, the whole race. And, uh, you know, it was, it was unfortunate that, that we got protested, you know, and, and well, it wasn't unfortunate. It was, it was, I would have done the same thing if I was in the reverse side. Um, you know, it was just when you know you're not cheating, you're not cheating and you, and you move on. I mean, other things have happened to other riders in the series where they got cheat, caught cheating and they were disqualified um, or there were penalties given. Uh, because they're, they're, 
when you break the rules, you break the rules, you know? And, and I think that in works, some of the rules that are in there are, are there because of things that I either complained about to the point where they got tired of listening to me or they understood that there needed to be some clarification that if, you know, they put that white line there and you go over that line when you're pitting your guy, it's a safety issue and there needs to be a penalty for it. Um, so that was, it never ding. I never got bit on that one because I was always pretty, pretty, uh, safe. And we really watched, you know, crossing that line. And I yelled at more than one guy for, for crossing the line, you know, you, uh, Brian Fuller, you know, thinking that it's, it's not, it's not a thing. It's a thing. You're going to get two minutes for it. So don't cross that. And your, your studs. Well, and that's a whole other mud. We're in Washougal in uh, Doug's home track, and it's it's pretty awesome place to race. But it's muddy and slick and raining, and and um, we're we go on Saturday. We go home, and uh, I can't take credit for this. I have to take credit for the for the fight that ensued with the rule book and with Sean and the other writers, but. Uh, and it wasn't really a fist fight. It wasn't a fight like that. It was a verbal fight, but, uh, you know, we had to stand our ground. Um, but Doug had the idea since we couldn't get studs for the tire and we, and we couldn't stud it correctly. We put, uh, sheet metal screws or self tapping screws in there with the hex head on them. And we cut the ends off and thread them down in the tire so they wouldn't poke through the tire. So anybody that didn't know what we were doing, wouldn't have known that you had to cut the end of the, self-tapper off to get it in the tire so we stud all these tires that night and um uh, everybody knew something was up because we got to the track early the bike was in the trailer um we were at a friends of uh, of uh, doug's uh kevin his, and we did it in his garage uh, but i prepped the bike that night and, and then we put the tires on and that morning i always put the bike out on display you know, in the, in front of the trailer and, you know, show it off, you know, the number one, you do that. Well, there's no number one bike out and everybody there is knows something's up. So 30 minutes before we go to, we go to race, I rolled it out and the, the crowd swarmed, uh, the, the rumbles through the pits happen. Sean Reddish instantly comes over. What's going on, man? Uh, at this point, we have a break in the rain. It's sunny. It's clear. It's nice. Um, there's a motorcycle race going on, and Sean whispers in my ear, you're really not going to do this, are you? And I go, yeah, we really are going to do this. It doesn't say we can't. And unless you force the issue and say we can't, um, then we're going to have a problem between us, you and I. Because if the rules say I don't say I can't do it, that means I can do it. And there's nothing you can do about it. And um, he was sweating bullets because he had to go. We had a riders meeting and uh, Brandon Brown was upset. And a couple other guys were upset, you know, Oh, it's good. Stud's going to come out and poke in my eye. And you know, you got goggles on dude. I can shoot you with a BB gun and, and not break your goggle lens. So come on. And they're not going to last that long. You know what I mean? Doug's going to be so far in front of him. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, that's, Sorry. That was a little cocky. I shouldn't have said that, but I just, you know, the owner of the track was there and he goes, Hey, we run studded tire races here all the time. So what's the deal? 
So that being said, we got to run studs. You can't now it's in the rule book. You can't run studs anywhere ever. Um, so you, you know, you make the rules as they come. It was a fun, it, it was a fun story worked out for us. You know, it started raining before the race. Um, Doug was first pick. The only pick on the gate was that was dry is the one that Doug picked. And when I say dry, it was still wet. It was just not underwater. Everybody else started underwater and their trail to the first turn was underwater. Doug's was above ground, dry all the way to the first turn. Uh, he was first through the first turn and never looked back. Josh, unfortunately, had three flat tires and, you know, and, and was like two and a half minutes back or a minute and a half back at the end of the race. Uh, maybe Doug could have had a better uh, lead if he would have pushed harder, but he didn't have to. He didn't need to. He got to um, he got to have a good race and, and take it easy and, and and had a lot of fun doing it, you know. And uh, the story in his podcast about the, getting his buddy to wipe his ass that was that day. And um, you know, there's I have a picture somewhere in my archives of Doug, this big brown blob in front of the white Duncan trailer and the blue awning and everybody standing around and and all their bright colors are showing and Doug's just this brown blob. Yeah, those, there's some, uh, definitely some fun times to, uh, I, yeah, I, I, it's hard to fit them all into a, uh, segment, you know, I mean, we can, I can sit here and talk to you for hours on end on this and uh we'll probably have to do another one just to fit in just your racing and some you know other stuff but uh unfortunately i will i have uh a newborn baby and uh i got two other kids and so i uh i can hear my name being called by uh my uh son so well Everybody, I wanted to thank you for listening to ATV Talk. Danny, thank you for spending the time with us today to make this make this episode happen. Um, I did this reluctantly. I was kind of pushed into it by my team to uh, let everybody know who I am. Uh, I know that there are some people out there in the industry that do know who I am and know that I've been around for a long time. But um, I'm Leonard Duncan, your host of ATV Talk, a huge fan of the industry. Uh, my son, Danny, he was your host today in interviewing me and talking with me. And um, we thank you very much. And from our family to yours, stay safe. And we love you all. Thank you very much. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.